in the opportunity we have uh, just to worship you, Lord. We just pray a blessing over the service this morning. Amen. You can wave to those around you and be seated. Oh, that's sad. Good morning, Northgate Baptist Church. Well, thank you. Good morning to you. If you are in person, welcome. Welcome to our uh, worship service. And if you're online, just a huge, huge shout out to you. Uh, we're grateful that you're able to log in. Uh, just a few quick announcements. Uh, Friday. Friday is where it's at, folks. Be here at 6.30 p.m. We are having a games night for the whole church, so we're really excited about that. So bring your favorite board game or card game, and uh, let's just get to know each other. And, uh, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun. So 6.30, uh, I think Pastor Garrett's going to provide some snacks, too, so that should be fun. Uh, we are wanting to have a baptism, and we are aiming for... Uh, kind of Thanksgiving, so that'd be kind of special. If you've never been baptized and you want to take that leap of faith and uh, just uh, publicly announce your relationship with Jesus and get baptized, uh, just connect with one of the pastoral staff or phone the office and we will give you more information on that. If you're thinking, you know what, I've been baptized already, but I want to become a member, we, that can happen as well too. So if you're interested in that, uh, just contact us and we'll take you through that steps as well. I'm going to read you a verse from 1 Samuel 12, 24. It says, but he, but he sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. When I think about this verse, I, I'm just thinking about those that serve God faithfully, and I'm thinking about the Freys. So I'd like to uh, just invite the Frey family up, and they're going to share what God has been doing in their lives in regards to um, their, their mission. So thank you. Thank you. Good morning. And good morning to the millions of people watching online, hopefully. Well, if you don't know us, that's us, and those are our kids, Ruth and Pascal. They weren't able to make it this morning. They're a bit tired. We've been on the road for two weeks now, and so they just wanted to hang out with their friends this morning. We thought that would be all right. So, yeah, if you don't know us, uh, Nick and Jocelyn, and I was coming to Northgate, I was trying to remember if it was like 15 years ago, but those things make me feel old. So, But I did, I did start coming here. Uh, I was part of the College and Careers group. Uh, it was the Vermeers that kind of invited me in, Garrett and Carla. I was flying with him out of the Edmonton International Airport, and then he told me about MAF, and nine years in Congo later, and, and a wife, and everything after that, here we are. But yeah, I can remember standing right here as you all prayed for me when I went off to do fundraising, and when I came back, I flew skydivers for the summer, and that's where I met this one. Yes, and so Nick, when he, uh, after he, you know, joined MEF, he, or was looking to go overseas, he decided that he was going to do it single, and so our first conversation that we had. He said, just so you know, I'm going to be single for the rest of our life. And I said, good for you. Um, and so a few months later, he decided he could get married and that person could be me. And we uh, went on to uh, get married and, and go overseas and join MAF together and go overseas. And so that's up until last year, that's where we were serving with uh, MAF. If you want to go to the next slide. And so if you've never heard of MAF, I know there's lots of new faces here that maybe we haven't met before. So Mission Aviation Fellowship, our mission is to serving together to bring help, hope, and healing through aviation. We can go to the next slide. And so, um, so, and the vision is to see isolated people changed by the love of Christ. Obviously, airplanes are a really unique tool to use in missions because they can really connect isolated areas. Where we served in Congo, you couldn't get from one side of the country to the other or even one city to another because there was no roads, there wasn't anything. And so the airplane was very important. If you want to go to the next slide. Yeah, so this gives you an idea of the about 30 countries that MAF serves in, and we were in Congo. It's in the center of Africa, it's sometimes called the heart of Africa, and so that's where we served, and uh, now we're serving in headquarters. We'll tell you more about that as well. Next slide. These are some of the partner organizations that we, we serve with. Some of the big ones we served with in Congo were um, 
IMA was Inter-Church Medical Assistance World Health, and they had a, a large grant from UK Aid and, and USAID to help the country deliver healthcare systems all over the, the country. And so we would fly their teams in and out and uh, help them with technology as well. And another group that we worked a lot with was World Vision. Um, the country director of World Vision and I have an interesting uh, rafting incident that we got into. So relationships in the plane and uh, outside of the plane as well. MAF is involved in all kinds of things. Next slide. And here's what I would do, um, flying to remote places. Another group we flew for was World Wildlife Fund, and they were doing conservation of, of the, the national parks there, and so we would fly in and out of there. Just a small grass airstrip cut out of the, the trees, and you didn't want to have to cut more trees than you were supposed to. So they were pretty short. You can see the one on the top right there. You have to sometimes go around a corner uh, for the lay of the land. And that place is a, a small mission station where a, a mission um, family lives, their doctors, mission doctors live with their kids. And we've flown in everything that they need for their house, the, the roofing on their house, the stuff inside, plumbing, electrical, uh, stuff for the hospital as well. And just to give you an idea, that, that place is near Bunya on the east side of Congo. By road, it takes anywhere from 8 hours to 18 hours, depending on the rains and everything. But we can do the flight in about 8 minutes. So it's not just a luxury to have an airplane. It's, it just makes so much sense to be effective and efficient. On the next slide. And so um, we, in 2019, we really felt God stirring on our hearts that our time in Congo was coming to a close. And so we took the, the whole year to really think and pray about what God was calling um, us to do next. And we also really wanted to make sure that we were passing on all of our knowledge and relationships that we had made over our nine years in Congo to other people on the team. So there really wasn't any gaps when we left. And during our last uh, year, I had finished my degree in psychology. And so God was really calling me to step into a, a more full full-time position within MAF, which is why he then uh, really put in our hearts that we would come back to Canada. If we go to the next slide. And so my role now um, with MAF, we're still supported missionaries with MAF, is uh, the learning and development coordinator. And this is so exciting for me. I really developed a passion during our time um, overseas that I did a lot of team training and team development and through finishing my degree in psychology I'm now doing all of the learning and development onboarding offboarding all of those sorts of things for our missionary staff as well as our office staff this is a really important role for a missionary to fulfill because it's really important to understand what it's like for the missionaries overseas. It's really easy f to make a decision sitting in a comfy chair in southern Ontario that affects, but you never really, it's important to ask the questions of, of how that affects missionaries overseas and what that is. And so I'm really blessed to be able to be a part of that role, to be able to advocate for our missionaries and to be able to help support them and and train them up to be successful in all they do within their, within their MAF missions and also um, in their personal lives. The next slide. Yeah, and my role at headquarters now is whatever it says there, operations project coordinator. I, I, I never put job titles on my business cards because it changes so much. And that, that was true in Congo too. I was the program manager for the last five years. And so I found that if I left the job title off, sometimes I could say I was just a pilot and they could go talk to the boss somewhere else. Worked well with tax collectors and that kind of thing. <laughs> Other times uh, it would work well when they didn't know that they were actually talking to the boss. So uh, yeah, the, uh, my, my saying goodbye in Congo, as she mentioned, was also training up a new program manager who is now overseeing the operations. And then our last year there, he was kind of flying and I was, I was co-pilot, just, uh, just available for questions and, and counsel throughout the year, so that was a really good way to, to transition leadership off in the country. And now with the experience I gained overseas, um, some of the things I'm doing for MAF Canada is helping write aviation manuals for our standard operating procedures in countries like Angola. We also helped oversee the building of um, two houses, a duplex basically that MAF had owned in Kinshasa. And so now I help uh, with building projects overseas and then uh, we always had a crisis or a disaster of some sort in Congo with Ebola and cholera and measles and rebel groups and things like that. So I also help on the disaster response team with MAF. So if you go to the next slide, you'll see a trip that I did in November for five weeks, uh, right up until Christmas Eve, I made it home. 
Nicholas made it home for Christmas, so my kids said. Um, and so, yeah, that was, I, I had just been in the office on a Wednesday during our devotionals, and I, I know the, the worldwide director of the disaster response team, and I messaged him and just said, hey, I'm thinking of you. Uh, if you need help with Honduras, let me know. And he messaged back right away and said, can you be here in like three days? Uh, amidst COVID and getting tests and, and all, you know, all these unknowns and traveling uh, was very difficult, but we pulled it together and my supportive wife allowed me to go. And so then I was helping Samaritan's Purse, which is a very like-minded, close partner with MAF, and they brought in a helicopter. So we had our, our small aircraft to get to airstrips and fly relief into places affected by the, the hurricanes in Honduras, Guatemala, and Nicaragua. But some places we can't get to with our airplanes, so they showed up with a helicopter. And then they just needed ground support, filing flight plans, administrative work, finding fuel, uh, sourcing the fuel, and, and then cleaning the helicopter each night. And we would fly medical teams in and out uh, to the areas that were affected, and also water sanitation teams. Uh, we would fly them in and out as well and set up port portable water systems for villages that had no more clean water after the hurricane. So all kinds of adventurous things that we get to be a part of staying involved with MAF. Uh, we're really excited to continue the next season of our ministry, and mm -hmm. we're really thankful for the many, many faithful years that you've uh, been a part of that journey as well. The next slide. Yeah, same thing that Nick just said. We just want to thank you so much for your continued support and prayers for our ministry. Uh, it's really neat. Uh, Nick has always be, been interested in disaster response, but being the program manager in Congo, he wasn't able to really go and help with any, but now we have the opportunity, being based from here, that Nick can go and, and help respond with those disasters when needed. So, yeah, just thank you so much for your support. I think there's one more slide. Um, and so we have a table out back, and so if you're um, interested in supporting our ministry or learning more about us, we have some prayer cards and magazines, and we'd love to talk with you after the service. Thank you very much. We stand for our missionaries, right, Northgate? Let's give them a round of applause. Thank you for your service. I'm going to pray for you. If you're able, could you just remain standing and reach out your hand if you want to, and we're going to pray for them. God, we thank you so much for the praise, God. We thank you for... Oh, Lord, the way you've used them in such amazing ways, the way you protected them in Congo, Lord, and just the many lives that they have reached, God. And we thank you for their faithful service to you, Lord. And we recognize, Lord, that um, you have closed the doors for them in Congo, and you have opened new doors for them in Canada and Honduras, Lord. And, God, we just pray you continue just to use these missionaries in such amazing ways to bring your word and your glory to people, Lord. In Jesus' precious name, amen. All right, thank you so much, guys. Uh, kids, if you're not already in the fellowship hall, let's uh, scoot into there and invite Pastor Mark to come on up. Well, good morning. <laughs> there we go. Oh, I'm really loud today. Thus saith the Lord. No, <laughs> let my people. Uh, very Charlton Heston-y this morning. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, glad you're here, whether you're joining us in person or online. Uh, I would encourage you, uh, open up your Bibles to Psalm 13 this morning. Uh, Psalm 13 will be our passage, and as you're turning there, I just want to sort of, I guess, set the scene uh, for what we're talking about by reading you something I saw sort of making the rounds on social media, and it's sort of inspired by all this craziness of COVID, and it says, uh, just for a small amount of perspective at this moment in history, instead, imagine that you were born in the year 1900. When you turned 14, World War I started, and it only ends when you're 18 years old, and 22 million people perish in that war. Later that year, the Spanish flu epidemic hits and runs until your 20th birthday. 50 million more people die from it in those two years alone. In your 29th year on Earth, the Great Depression begins. Unemployment hits 25%. The world GDP drops 27%. 
And that runs until you're 33 years old. When you turn 39, World War II starts. You're not even over the hill yet. And between your 39th and your 45th birthday, 75 million people perish in that war. At 50, the Korean War starts. Five million more perish. At 55, the, the Vietnam War begins and doesn't end for 20 years. And four million more people perish in that conflict. On your 67th birthday, or you have the Cuban Missile Crisis, the tipping point in the Cold War. Life on our planet almost ends. And on top of that, smallpox was still an epidemic until you're in your 40s. It killed 300 million people in your lifetime. Until you were 55, you also dealt with the fear of polio. You probably had many friends and family contracting that disease and either being paralyzed or dying. And so now coming back for, to today, if you were a kid in 1985 and you thought your 85-year-old grandparent couldn't understand how hard school was or how rough it was not to have enough money to buy the latest pop album, maybe you were just a little bit mistaken. And then it says, let's try to keep things in perspective because your parents and your grandparents were called to endure all of the above, but all we're asking of you is to stay home and sit on your couch. Um, and I suppose when you look at it like that, um, you know, we've not really, in the grand scheme of things, had it all that hard when it comes to COVID. And yet, that doesn't mean that these last 18 months or so it doesn't mean we haven't actually still felt real pain or experienced real sorrow. And I think that it's actually really important for us not to be so quick just to dismiss all that has happened to us in this time and all that we've gone through in, in sort of the race just to get on with our lives. It's over. Let's move on. And that's what brings us to this sermon today and the point of our passage, which is learning to lament, um, because I really do feel that it's important that we, that we properly grieve when we have faced, you know, great loss and so much change. It's important that we take time to acknowledge some of that pain that we've experienced, and just it's important that we take time to say, you know what, in the last little while, a lot of things came into my life that hurt, and it hurt a lot for many of us. It's important to give voice just to those many sorrows that we've seen and felt. And that's not just limited to COVID. Someone once said, we enter the world with tears and crying, and it never truly ends. Because as believers, we really do sort of live in this tension of faith. Uh, we live between sort of two unshakable truths that are both true at the same time. And the first truth is that God is good. But the other truth is that life also hurts, and it can hurt a lot. And that's where lament comes in. At least for, from a Christian perspective, lament is it's more than just complaining about things that have gone wrong in our lives. It's more than just sort of putting together a laundry list of, of things that you know, we can complain about or things that happened that we didn't like. It's, and it's more than just a chance for us to express emotions or you know, doing some kind of therapy, you know, catharsis. In fact, I like the definition given by the Desiring God website that says, Lament is a divinely given invitation to pour out our fears, frustrations, and sorrows for the purpose of helping us renew our confidence in God. And that's why we have Psalm 13 before us this morning. Psalm 13 is a psalm of David that actually will serve for us as a lesson this morning as we learn how to lament. And Psalm 13 reads like this, if you want to follow along with me. It says, For the director of music, a psalm of David. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love, and my heart rejoices in your salvation. 
I will sing the Lord's praise, for he has been good to me. Let's pray. Father God, as we come to this passage, Lord, I know it could be a tough one for many of us. But Lord, I pray that you would just give me strength, that you would give me courage to, to speak these words. You would have me speak. And Lord, I, give, I pray that you would give us all courage to have the ears, to hear the truth you would have us hear. Lord, we ask that your spirit would be among us today, um, comforting us, guiding us, um, just allowing this truth to shape us and speak to us. And that, Lord, we would use this process, use this sermon, use this time of lament uh, to draw us closer to you. Lord, be with us in a very special and powerful way this morning, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. So let me ask you just simply, what do you think of when I say the word lament? Um, what picture comes to your mind? What images arise? What emotions are sort of stirred within you? I think a lot of people, when they think of lament, tend to you know, think it's associated with grief and times of great sorrow. Um, you think of people crying out with loud cries or great tears. Or maybe your mind goes to a place of more silent loss. You think of a, a person who just feels like part of them is missing because someone they've loved has been taken away. But whether it's loud or whether it's silent, chances are, no matter what you think about, the very idea of lament might actually make you just a little bit uncomfortable. Because there are several objections that I think people will make around sort of allowing us to take time to lament. And the first is perhaps personal, but perhaps it's somewhat cultural as well. But I would call it the sort of stiff upper lip mentality. Uh, many of us sort of grew up in this world, in this culture, where you didn't really express sorrow openly. You didn't show, you know, emotion or sadness, especially in public. Because I don't know if we see it as sign of, a sign of weakness, if we see it as undignified. But the truth is we don't like, as people, appearing vulnerable, appearing like we have needs, you know, appearing weak. So often if we have any sort of uncomfortable emotions that are getting in the way, we just stuff them down, you know, find a deep corner of our heart somewhere, stuff them down and, and ignore them. So we can kind of get on with our life, get on with the important stuff. But that really overlooks the very real fact that pain is something that is very real in our lives. And not everyone will show that pain in the same way, but we all feel it. And we all need to face it. Because I know some people who have been running from their pain for decades. And they've still never taken the time to really come to terms with either that pain or that loss that they've experienced. But that leads us to the next objection that some people may have. And that's just that they feel lament is just a waste of time. Uh, you know, we used to call it navel-gazing. You know, just, you know, if they think, sure, you can complain about things, you can wail and sorrow after a loss, you can spend a week or two crying into your pillow and shedding many tears, but there's people who look at that process and still think, well, what, what difference does it really make in the end? But you know, I can assure you, lament is an essential part of the process of working through your pain and, you, and, your, and to get you to a place of healing after a loss. I remember when I lost my wife, uh, you know, I was overwhelmed with grief, but, but I had to face it. I had to work through it. And attending a ministry like Grief Share uh, was a big part of helping me get through that. And to be honest, I mean, I'm still not done. There are days that that rises up in me again. But when you look at your Bibles, one thing that you see over and over and over again is that taking time to lament, taking time to face your pain and bring it to God is something that leads a person from a place of sorrow actually to a place of praise. Lament is not a waste of time. It is actually part of the pathway towards healing and health and greater faith. And that actually leads me to a third objection I think people struggle with when it comes to lamenting. And they think that lament sort of, if we lament, they think it sort of reveals sort of a lack of faith in our lives. That somehow having us express our sorrow or express our hurts or express our loss, that somehow that's actually an accusation against God. As if God was doing his, his part, we wouldn't be feeling our part. 
that somehow being open about our disappointment in our circumstances is, is an indictment against God's faithfulness. That experiencing pain somehow displeases God, who somehow is only honored when we're happy. You know, God just wants us to be happy little soldiers, even if we have to pretend. And I think that leads a lot of people to that place where they just fake it. In their pen, pain, they, they pretend to just sort of be a-okay on the outside. Even if their hearts are breaking inside. Because we think, you know, what will people think of me as a Christian? And my trust in God, if I'm open about my sorrow and my grief and even my doubt. But again, I want you to hear this clearly. Lament and sorrow and pain are not things that keep us from faith. They are things that deepen our faith. And God himself invites his people to lament. I mean, listen to this. Estimates say that somewhere between one-third and two-thirds of all the psalms in the book of Psalms could be considered psalms of lament as the psalmists are pouring out their pain to God. And there's a lament in the book of wisdom, the books of wisdom. There's a lament on the lips of the prophets. There's a lament from the patriarchs. There's a lament from the kings of Israel. Moses lamented that God sent him to lead such a rebellious people. Jonah prayed that God would take his life. Job asked, why was I ever born? And there's an entire book of lamentations that expresses the, the confusion and suffering felt by the people after the destruction of Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And all of those examples of lament in the Bible, they're not exceptions. They are examples to us in our own sorrow. In fact, those laments actually provide for us a language for us to more fully express the sorrows and pains that life brings our way. You know, when our hearts fail with fear, our words sort of run dry, it is the word of God itself that can provide for us a means to express the deep wounds of our hearts. You know, even on Jesus on the cross, he turned to the psalm, Psalm 22, to find the words to say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that's why we turn to Psalm 13 this morning. And I chose this psalm because it is such a wonderful example of what a lament is, of what a lament is supposed to be. Because biblically, a lament follows, it's sort of a pattern. You know, there are elements to a biblical lament that need to be there to make it a true lament. And they're not always in the same order in the Psalms, and sometimes they differ in size. One is bigger than the other. But basically, a lament contains five things. First, it always contains an address to God. Verse 1 of Psalm 13 says, How long, O Lord? And you know, we don't go very far into this Psalm before getting our first lesson. And it may seem like a small thing, but you can't skip this step or you'll miss the entire point of lamenting. Because again, we are not shouting our complaints just to the universe or to the air. We are talking to God. And that actually makes lament a form of prayer in our lives. It's a reminder, even in our pain, it's a reminder that our lament is based upon our relationship with God. You know, in my house, when my kids want to complain about something, uh, or ask for help, but mostly complain about something, they come to me. They always come to me. Oh, why do they come to me? Uh, but it's not, you know, honestly, as a parent, I'm not God, I'm not perfect. Sometimes it drives me crazy. But they don't go to the neighbors. They don't call the government. They don't even go to their parents, you know, the friends of their or parents, friends' parents. They come to me because I'm their dad. And they know that I love them, and because I love them, I'll listen to them. And I'll be there for them, and I will help them when they bring their needs to me. So when my kids come to me in their need, it's because of the relationship. And so when we lament and we take it to God, it is proof of our relationship with God. And that's why we take our lament to God. And honestly, if we cannot take our deepest sorrows and pain to God, where can we take it? Where else should we take it? But that leads to the next important element of a lament. And that is making sure we find the time to find the words that will express and acknowledge the pain and sorrow that we're going through. 
Back to Psalm 13, we begin again in verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemies be exalted over me? You see, this is the place that we get real about our pain before God. This is where we take time just to feel our feelings. This is where we can tell God our hurts. This is where we can ask God our questions, where we can express our frustrations and even admit our doubts. And you know, when we do this before the Lord, we don't have to sort of blunt our expression of pain to make it more acceptable to him. We don't have to hedge our words in fear of offending the Lord. This is a gritty, real, genuine, sometimes messy and ugly moment between you and the Lord. And that's exactly what it's supposed to be. Now, one psalm people will point to here is Psalm 137. As the people of Israel have been carried away into slavery in Babylon, the psalmist writes in 137, verse 8, Blessed shall he be who takes your little ones and dashes them against the rocks. The NIV says, happy is the one who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. He's saying, I wish someone would take your kids and put them down and smash their heads in. And that's an ugly verse. Saying that I would be happy to smash in the the heads of my enemy's babies. And the psalmist doesn't do that. And he, 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 he lets go and he gives that to God. But he feels it. And it's ugly and it's uncomfortable. But it is also real and it's honest. So what about you and your pain and your disappointments and your anger? Can you take those things openly and honestly to God? Can you lament boldly? Because God gives us permission to do that. And I know with COVID, I've had many moments like that in the last year and a half. I've been frustrated just by all the confusion and the lack of answers that we never really seem to get. You know, we just never know. Are we opening? Are we closing? Are we locking down? Can we leave the house? I mean, how do, how do you live, oh Lord, with so much uncertainty? And you know, I was exhausted. You know, you work full time. Then you have to go home and you have to homeschool your kids. That's another burden I had to carry. And you know, I was brokenhearted for my kids. Probably most of all. You know, at such an essential time in their emotional development as kids. Now they're isolated. They're separated from their friends. They're, they're stuck in Zoom meetings for hours every day, but they lack any sort of real contact, human contact, for months at a time. And you see the toll that takes on them. My daughters missed their grad. You know, we have a grad dress that my daughter saved her money for, just hanging in our house. It's never been worn. And every time I see it, it just, it breaks my heart a little bit. But more than that, I was angry. Anytime, anytime I heard someone had a loved one in the hospital who had to suffer and even died alone because no family was allowed in to be with that person at the end, I asked, how was that even right? We had limits on funerals where families had to draw straws to determine who was allowed to come and say the final goodbyes to their loved one. You hear about people in nursing homes, basically that became prisons. No guests, no visitors, no leaving your room, no seeing friends even across the hall. They just slid the food under the door three times a day. And then there's those who, their relationships failed. Marriages fell apart. There's those who lost jobs and even their businesses along the way. Everything that they'd worked for their entire life was gone. There's nothing they could do. And we had to face all of those things alone because we were kept apart. We were isolated in tiny COVID bubbles for our own protection. And it's a time when we too could have asked, how long, oh Lord? How long are we going to have to face these things? How long do we have to face just being alone? 
How long will these diseases reign unchecked? And it's not just limited to COVID. Because we could ask, how long, O oh Lord, will cancer steal away the people that we love so dearly? How long, O oh Lord, will old age cripple our bodies, leaving us living in pain? How long, O oh Lord, will injustice be done? How long will racial divides tear us apart? How long, O oh Lord, will this hurt, this pain, this sorrow continue? And when you really sort of stop to just take it all in, these words of the psalmist are words I admit, I have to, I, had under, I understand them. They resonate with my heart. But as we give words to our sorrows and our hurts before the Lord, we can't stop there. As Psalm 13, verses 3 and 4 continues, it says, Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice, because I am shaken. And here's the next thing that we do in our lament. And that is we ask God for help. The psalmist says, you know, I have questions, O Lord. I'm asking you for answers. Lord, you feel far from me, so turn your, towards me and consider me, God. Lord, I'm shaken, but Lord, don't let my enemies have a victory. It's a prayer for God to intervene. Because, you know, in bringing our sorrows to God, we should also be praying for deliverance. Praying for God to be merciful, praying for a miracle, praying for healing, praying for help, praying for change, praying for relief, praying that God will see our sorrow and will act. We take all of those things, you know, all of those pains, all of those sorrows, all of those questions that we've just talked to God about as we part out our heart before him and we turn those things into a list of things we pray about. I actually like what Mark, author Mark Vogrup says. He says, seeking God's help while in pain is an act of faith because the lament invites us to dare to hope in God's promise as we ask him for help. We ask God to help and intervene in our sorrows. And that leads us to the fourth element of a lament, which is reminding ourselves of our confidence and our trust in God. Psalm uh, 13 verse 5 says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. And what an important reminder this is, that even in, when our lives feel shaken, we need to remember that God is our firm foundation. We need to remember God's character, remember his goodness, remember his promises to us, and remember our hope. Because remember I talked about how as Christians we live in this tension between two unchanging truths. That first, God is good, but also that life is hard. And so, sometimes we get stuck on, on, on that truth that life is so hard and it's all that we see. But lament is about moving our hearts and our minds from focusing on our life and our circumstances to a place where we can also hold fast to the goodness of God in our pain. It's moving from a place where we're experiencing sorrow to a place where we can also remember to fix our eyes on our hope. I even read one person who said a lack of lament can lead a person to despair. Because when we do not lament, we often fail to arrive at a place of hope. And it's a reminder that our hope is in the Lord. And lament, it really is a journey. And it can move us from being stuck in grief and being stuck in sorrow. And it can lead us back to God, which is exactly where God wants to be found. And if you'll actually permit me, I just want to read, I want you to listen to some words spoken by God to his people in their distress. Psalm 46.1, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Psalm 59 verse 16, but I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Psalm 73, verse 26, My flesh and my heart may fail, 
But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 18, verses 1 and 2. I love you, O Lord, my God, my strength. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light of, and, and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is my stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 28, 8. The Lord is my strength... Of, Lord is the strength of his people and he is the saving refuge of his anointed. And you know, it's not just the Psalms that speak of this. Proverbs 18, verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Exodus 15, verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him, my father's God, and I will exalt him. Even the New Testament, Philippians 4, verses 12 and 13. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And those wonderful words of Isaiah. Isaiah 40, verses 29 and 31. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men will feel exhausted. But they who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. You see, the goal of lament is not only to express our pain, but it's to lead us through our pain back to God. And having found strength in him, we end our lament with thanksgiving and praise. Psalm 13, verse 6, I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And one thing I found really interesting in studying lament this week is I looked it up in the dictionary. And I found that the antonym, or or the word that means the exact opposite of lament in the dictionary was the word praise, celebration. And yet here in the word of God, we find lament and praise side by side. Because lament is also a form of worship. It's a form of praise. And it's not praise because God has just made everything better. He's made our problems go away. It's like, yay, God, that's not a problem anymore. This is the kind of praise that happens even when we're still deep within our pain. And we're still dealing with difficult circumstances. Because we're not praising God here because he solved our problems or made our pain go away. We are praising God because he's faithful. And he is our hope. And our hope in God is bigger than our problems. And for that we can rejoice. It reminds me of what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 16 and 17, or 16 and 18. It says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will in Christ Jesus for you. And that's not always easy to praise and to give thanks in all circumstances. But this kind of praise doesn't come from our circumstances. It comes from our hope in God. And you know, if you have stood at the graveside of someone you've loved, with tears in your eyes, and you've stood there and sung the words of amazing grace, You know what I'm talking about here. And when you've gone through that, you know, something like that, that your praises, it's different. There is a deepness to worship when that worship has come through a valley of tears. In many ways, lament is the pathway to greater intimacy and trust with God. You know, because to praise God in the sunshine, it's wonderful. But to praise God in the middle of the storm is transformational. And when your lament has led you to praise, your entire outlook on life changes. And that's where biblical lament should lead us. It should lead us back to God and back to a place of worship. From sorrow to singing, even if we're singing in the, as the winds of adversity still blow all around us. And that is how and that is why we practice Lament. And I thought that this would just be a timely word for us. You know, as we hopefully come out of this season of COVID, 
But again, I don't want us just to rush on and get on with our lives, but hope that we would take time to reflect and remember and acknowledge some of the pain and sorrow that we have been through. And that in doing that, it will actually take us deeper in our walk with God. So for an application this morning, I just, I want to give you two things. Two things I'm going to ask you to do. First, I would ask that you would just read through some of the biblical laments. Um, And if you're actively this morning going through a really hard time suffering, hurting with these kind of things this morning, I would encourage you actually to pray through these words of Scripture. Uh, Some laments I would recommend, good place to start, Psalm 3, Psalm 13, Psalm 28, Psalm 42, Psalm 54. But just read through those words and allow them to speak deeply to your heart. But even more than that, they will help give you a language to express your own sorrows, which is actually the second thing I would encourage you to do. And that is actually to write your own lament. Using what we have learned, just pen your words of heartache to God. I do want you to be intentional about that. You know, sometime this week, actually get a piece of paper, actually pick up a pen and write down the words that God brings to your heart. And to be clear, you're not writing scripture when you're doing this, but it will be your song. And remember the steps. Begin, begin with an invocation. You know, speaking of your relationship with God, addressing your words to him. You know, capturing the imagery of God, of a God who loves you and has made you his own. And then speak to him of your sorrow and your loss. Take the time to ask your questions. Admit your weakness. Talk of your frustrations. And again, do it boldly. Do it with every bit of honesty that you can. And then ask for help. And as boldly as you've just laid bare your heart, now boldly ask God to move. Ask God to heal. Ask God to redeem. Ask God to deliver. Ask God to save. And then remind yourself of your confidence and your trust in him. Speak of your hope and the assurance that you have in his character and his goodness and that you will hold fast to his promises and the truth of who he is. You can even write your own metaphor for the security that you feel in Christ, whether it's a strong tower or a firm foundation or a refuge in a storm. And then finally, turn your heart to praise and worship and thanksgiving, lifting his name high. And in doing those things, I hope we can all learn to lament well. And maybe this morning... Maybe this morning you feel like you don't really need to do that. Maybe COVID hasn't been all that hard of a time for you. Maybe you're not feeling any real deep words. And you know what? That's okay. You may not need this today. But chances are sometime in the future you will. And I hope this lesson speaks peace to you when that time comes. Because I think we all need to make lament a part of our walk with God. It is really an overlooked aspect of our life of faith that is so essential to our growth and our healing as Christians. And of course, I understand all of this sounds easy. You know, I could put it in a little list of what to do, but the truth is that this is hard work. And this can be a long journey, and it's something that you may have to revisit again and again as you work through it. But if you find yourself in that place this morning, I want to encourage you to keep going and keep working and keep lamenting Because God has more in store for us. And he will be faithful. And actually, one of the most interesting things I was reminded of this week was that even as the psalmist asked his questions in Psalm 13, how long, O Lord? That God has actually given us the perfect answer. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1, says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. What a wonderful promise of God. 
And that is the end of all lament. Pain and loss are not forever. And grief is not going to be the end. And again, I know in my own grief, you know, over the loss of my wife, the one thing that keeps me going is knowing that truth that in Christ and because of Christ, one day I get to see her again. And that means my grief has not separated me from God. It actually draws me to him like a magnet, closer to him every day as I remember that he is the source of my hope and my salvation. My lament leads me to the Lord. And that's a lesson I hope that we all can learn in these uncertain days before us. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for these words that we have heard this morning as your psalmist poured out his heart before you, as David laid bare his pains and his sorrow. And yet in seeing his weakness, Lord, it is such a source of strength and encouragement for us and a reminder to us that even in our pain, you offer to us an invitation to draw closer to you. And Lord, it's not easy. Lord, we don't like to be seen as weak. We don't like to be vulnerable. And it's so easy just to pretend that everything's okay in our life and try to go on with things. But Lord, we need to go deeper. We need to take that journey. We need to learn to lament. And that, Lord, in doing that, you will help our pain become our praises. You will help our sorrow become our singing. You will help our despair turn into hope. And it's not because we find easy answers. It's because we find a great and good God. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to learn to lament and to lament well before you. And that in doing so, Lord, it would just continue to draw us closer and closer to the heart of our God who loves us so much. In Jesus' name.